Coming up on the Media Project, Alan Shartok, Mike Spain, Judy Patrick, and me, Rex Smith, with a half hour of commentary on the media issues of the week. We'll talk primarily this week about what's going on in Ukraine and the journalists who are bravely covering it and what kind of stories we're seeing. Are we getting the full story? We'll talk about that. And at the end, we're going to talk about beer. You're going to want to listen to this. Join us for Media Project. It's coming up next. They wallow in corruption. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. It's the Media Project. This is a half hour of conversation among veteran journalists about things that have been going on in the news media in recent days. And we invite you to join us by sending your views to media at wamc.org, and we will share them with you. I'm Rex Smith, here with Dr. Alan Shartok, who runs Northeast Public Radio, and Judy Patrick, formerly the editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, and Mike Spain. Mike and I were together in the Times Union newsroom. We were, we were kind of the butch Fr- and the kid, weren't we? Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say frickin' frack. Frickin' frack. Yeah. <laughs> Mutt and Jeff, maybe. I don't know. Who were we? Uh, who were Mutt and Jeff? Alan, you're old enough to know that. No, they were a comic strip, Mutt and Jeff. Yeah. And uh, that's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. so we're, here we are with some thoughts on what's been going on in the media. And Dr. Shartok, I might actually ask you a question these days about tolerances. What uh. people are willing to tolerate in their news consumption. And I ask you first because you are a noted consumer of the media. You talk a tolerator. You talk about like getting up in the middle of the night to read the New York Times. And I think that we are at a stage where people are so overwhelmed by the news that they are turning away from it entirely. And I honestly don't know what to do as a journalist. If I were running a newsroom now, what would you do to try to bring people to back in again. Well, you know, Rex, or your Rexiness, I don't know the answer to that question. All I know is that when I walk into the television room and turn the television on, I quickly turn it off because I don't find anything new. So if they're showing me Ukraine and how it is being attacked by the Russians, yes, I get that. And I see it all the time on the news. 
but I don't see anything that really is making me say, as you have always said, Rex, golly gee whiz, Martha, look at that. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Mike, you have any uh, good solutions yeah, here? Uh, there is a risk. You know, studies have even shown that people who watched so many hours of news right after 9-11 exhibited 10, 12 years later, exhibited some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm. And, and I, I can understand that. And, and there is a danger of being glued to the feed that you're looking at or to the 24-hour news station and just kind of drinking it all in. It can cause depression. It can cause mental health problems. So people are urged to kind of move around. And I think that's sort of behind the golly Martha approach. So instead of just writing and producing and delivering stories about the horrible, horrible assault on Ukraine going on right now, you know, we're reading about spiders that are coming from Japan and moving to North America. And, <laughs> and we're scaring people, but it's a conversation that's sort of a distraction from some of it. And then we're reading about Netflix, you know, and how they're going to go after people who share passwords. So, I mean, there's little things and big things. It's like a healthy diet. You need all kinds of news to stay in a good state of mind. And you should be aware of what's going on, but don't overdose. Well, that's always been sort of the the approach approach of newspapers anyway, that you would throw in, you know, comic strips and crosswords and so on. Exactly. You know, I read a really good column about this by Rex Smith. Oh, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Gosh, I can't imagine. Who, who talked about <laughs> the need you. to break away every once in a while. I have had this problem, especially with Twitter, especially with social media, because you get consumed by it. They call it doom scrolling. You're just watching and watching what's going to happen next. Um, and I got very anxious and I had to break away, try to not watch the news or pay any attention to the news for 24 hours because you cannot solve this problem. Uh, you are just an observer. You are not going to, you know, stop the fighting in Ukraine. And once you realize that, it's okay to break away for 24 hours just to see if you can. I, I challenge all of you out there to try it because it's very difficult. Yeah. Actually, that's interesting. There was a, an experiment that is run every year by the people who run the National Center for News Literacy at Stony Brook University, where they take the students who have signed up for the news literacy course and they say, this week, keep a journal, but your goal is every day to avoid the news. Don't read the news. Don't pay attention to the news. Don't consume news. And the students find it impossible. They are amazed to find how much stuff they actually take in almost accidentally. That's kind of one of the challenges for local newsrooms that are diminishing in size and scope and financial success is that people get news from so many different places. It's so ubiquitous that people think they need local news outlets less than they used to. But the problem is who else covers your town board, your school board, if you don't have your local news outlet? Well, you often talk about this, Rex. I've always believed that nature does abhor a vacuum, except sometimes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> except this local coverage, which you and Judy and, and Mike always refer to, in some ways becomes a thing of the past. And people don't know that they need it the way they once thought they needed it. And therein lies the problem. But what has filled the gap? I mean, the vacuum that's exactly. there when a local media no longer has the resources to cover all the meetings. And, oh, oh, I know. Yeah. Nothing. No, I, I don't know. I mean, different organizations, institutions, government bodies, school boards start putting out their own social media, start running their own Facebook pages, start distributing mm. their version of what's going on and controlling 
what gets out there a, a lot more effectively when they are not challenged. And that's useful. I mean, if you're going to get the bus schedule, you're going to get the cafeteria food of the week, or you're going to get schedules of practices or events in the school district, that's great to have. But if the school board is voting on, you know, funding something that is near and dear to your heart, repairing a building, bringing in a program or cutting a program, especially cutting a program, and there's really not any, you know, guarantee that you're going to find out about it just by looking at the email, the Twitter feed, the Facebook page that that organization puts Well, on. Mikey, suppose you don't. Suppose you have no idea that something happened. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are the consequences of that? Well, that's like, I mean, Mike's point is that this has been happening nationally. You know, people follow baseball by looking at the sites that are created by Major League Baseball. All the professional sports now have their own... Actually, a lot of them are qualified reporters, people who used to work for genuine news outlets, and they're now covering baseball, except they don't cover the negative stuff. You know, they're actually reporting from the perspective of uh, the owners. The owners. (laughs) (laughs) So interesting that you say that, Rex, because this morning I was listening to our news on WAMC. We have a wonderful reporter, Mm -hmm. actually helpful. And she was giving us the sports news. And the entire sports news seemed to be how much each of these baseball players who were getting paid, mm-hmm. um, you know, $36 million for four years or whatever. Fascinating because they don't deserve that kind of money. A professor may deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if a person's going to rely on the government, you know, the school district, the town board, the county board to give it information, they will realize that they were only going to get the information that the government wants them to know. If there's going to be a referendum on a new school project, you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to make a big deal of getting that information out. And then the next thing you know, there's going to be a new building and you're going to walk by it on your morning walk and say, where the heck did that building come Except- from? Judy, in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, Ah. where they wanted to build a new high school, and people voted it down. I wonder how they found out about that. How did they find out about that? Exactly. Good point. They found out about it in the news. Uh (laughs) Aha. That's pretty great. But, I mean, to to the point, this is exactly what we're seeing going on in Russia. This is why when the only option for most people is state-supported news, it's a big deal when one young producer walks onto the screen carrying a sign that says, you're being lied to. Yeah, don't Uh, believe. Right. And she, of course, has now been fined for inciting protests. And who knows what will further befall her. She's lucky she wasn't killed, to be perfectly honest. Because under that guy Putin, people tend to disappear mysteriously and never be seen again. Some people think they've been killed. Well, he actually has murdered journalists. Committee to Protect Journalists has documented, well, he wouldn't concede that he has, but has documented cases of people being assassinated after brave journalists, after actually leading newsrooms or being aggressive investigative reporters. And this is why when we had a president in this country who admired Putin. And declared the media the enemy of the people. He was sort of owned by Putin. Mm. You would kind of think. How destructive that was to journalists across the globe, not just here. Yeah. 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 Important point. We're all holding our breath on that Russian journalist because something will happen. Putin is not going to let that stand. She was fined initially the equivalent of about 300 American dollars, and she was released, and she's talking. She has given some interviews, but she certainly will face criminal charges. I can't imagine she won't. An example needs to be made, I'm sure. That's the way they feel. Sure. And, and it will be difficult for that message to get out. But getting back to that point, when it was only state media now and other independent media has been shut down or throttled down and, and they're having difficulty getting their message out in Russia, depending on 
who you believe because polls are being conducted by state media here, but there are some independent reports that many Russians do not see the violence, do not acknowledge what's really going on in their neighboring country of Ukraine and what the Russian army and the Russian military is doing in that country. And yet the whole world is witness to it, and so many people believe an entire alternative narrative. And it's shocking that somebody could actually believe some other version of reality as we all now know it. Anybody who witnessed the stunning video that was played before the U.S. Congress when the president of Ukraine spoke, you know, those kinds of realities can't be ignored. And yet many Russians don't know about it. We have to be careful, of course, that we are not unwittingly receiving doctored information as well. How do we know that all the videos that we see are real? Videos showing children clutching pets on railroad station platforms, they really grab our heart. But it's essential for us to realize that, of course, the images that we get at a certain level are not 100% reliable, yet we think that we have enough access. We think there are enough reporters from Western outlets where we have a free press. We think that we're getting a pretty good picture of things. But the lesson of the Iraq invasion and of the run-up to that in the United States is that even the sources that our news media rely upon in this country may sometimes be lying to them. We may not have looked hard enough before that invasion of Iraq, and so we may not be getting as full a picture as we wish we did. Well, so now, in the case of government obviously subverting the news, we get that. But in the United States, thinking of the Murdochs and others, it is quite often not the government which is controlling the news, but the owners of newspapers and the owners of various outlets. So, for example, CNN or the right-wing stations that we know about, they are controlled by the people who are paying the bills. And we can't be too righteous in terms of condemning everybody else when we're not looking at that. But fortunately, we live in a society where we can look at many different sources. Sure. And we can glean from that, perhaps, and distill down a pretty accurate version of, of what's going on you in think reality. So? I really do. I think when you're able to read in many different reliable, traditionally authoritative sources, like the New York Times, like the Washington Post, like the networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and you're able to see different versions of the same story, you, you do get a sense of the reality. But what if you only look at Fox News? What if you right. are, you know, the 80% of Republicans in America say that Fox News is their primary news source? And if you have Tucker Carlson, the most popular host on Fox News, doing the work of the Kremlin, I would say, <laughs> in questioning NATO's work. And this is why there's this memo from Russia that has been leaked that said as instruction to the Russian media, it's essential to feature Tucker Carlson so that Russians will see that America is not supporting Ukraine because Tucker Carlson doesn't, because Donald Trump doesn't. You know, <laughs> what do you do if your only source is that? Yeah, let's get that message out to all the fans of Tucker Carlson that Russia is taking clips from Tucker Carlson and putting them in regular rotation so the people of Russia believe that all of America sides with what Tucker Carlson says. And Tucker Carlson essentially has become or was a supporter of Putin. He's kind of tried to back off a little bit. And so is his boss. And Russia is using this. This is a travesty. And it, obviously any words can be taken out of context, but these aren't these words aren't being taken out of context, which is even worse than taking something out of context. It's what he's really saying. 
It's what he's really saying. Yeah. But if you cannot convince people that what they're hearing is lies because they've just been hearing it so much and because there's a social stigma attached to watching something other than Fox News, it's like the people who listened to Rush Limbaugh called themselves ditto heads and it was almost a social fraternity. Same thing I think is now true of the Fox News community. That is part of their social identity. And that is really dangerous, I think, when you have a disreputable individual like Rupert Murdoch who is unafraid, unabashed about distorting the news to support his particular point of view. Well, they do have variety. They listen to Newsmax or OAN ah, as well, there you go. which are further right <laughs> there you than, go. than Fox. Yeah. You know, we have to say the fact is that the cameraman who was recently killed in Ukraine was on assignment for Fox News. His name was Pierre Zakrevsky, a 55-year-old longtime war photojournalist. The twin Renault was also killed, Brent Renault. And another person who died was a 24-year-old Ukrainian journalist working as the news story here reports it as a consultant. This is what's known as a fixer. And journalists in foreign countries all along use fixers. I, in my limited experience as a doing foreign reporting, I would always hire a local person at that time in the 80s. The going rate was 100 bucks a day, and that was considered really good money that you would pay in U.S. dollars. Sure. And that person would help you around, not only with language, but with understanding like I heard a guy in El Salvador once who had <laughs> he had spent time in prison, and I think he gained certain expertise, let's say, in helping me figure out like how to get around roadblocks and the like. I wanted to talk a moment about Germany. Mm. Remember the Germans? There were those people after World War II who felt, respectable people, that Germany should be leveled and should never be allowed to stand up and run a government again. They should become completely agricultural. And there were some very impressive people who were for that because of the German mindset and the experience that we had seen over and over again. Now, as we sit here today, the news comes out that the Germans are rearming <laughs> <laughs> and there will be people, I'll be one of them, who say, oh, no, this is terrible. Because, you know, we know that the German persona in the past, for whatever that means, has been very brutal. And if you happen to be of Jewish ancestry, as I am, you don't forget what happened in the Holocaust and the millions of Jews hmm. who got, you know, evaporated. So what is truth in all of these reports? That's the whole point. What is truth? You know, we, we're very proud of ourselves here on the Media Project because we have a free press. But my question is, how free is it? Well, the fact that you're talking in detail about the stories today about the, you know, expenditure of $100 billion to build their military in Germany and the enthusiastic support from their, you know, elected officials for their that. people. And the people. We know about it. We're talking about it because it remains a country with a free press. It built a democracy, an impressive democracy, and that it is reaching a level of maturity where it wants to be able to defend itself against foreign invaders, which are not far away when well, you, you know, see what's like, going on in Ukraine. We're talking about it. I understand the fear, and, and it's unsettling to think about a, a powerful military complex of Germany, but still, we're talking about it, and that is the benefit of the free press that we live with. Yeah, well, you know, I don't exactly see it that way. I mean, I think that there is something widely dismissed by political scientists called national character. And... Uh, if you believe that the Germans have in the past and the German citizenry, uh-oh, here come the letters, been predictable and, and been consistent, 
over the years, then maybe the way in which we're reporting the news falls short. So folks, if you have thoughts on this, media at WAMC.org is how you tell Dr. Shartok what you think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're used to this, Alan, you know. You're, Am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> media at WAMC.org, we're happy to have your uh, points of view here. And we, we do need to pay tribute to those brave journalists who are both Americans and non-Americans. I mean, the fact that NPR, for example, has one of the morning edition anchors in uh, not Keith, but in... Uh, Lee, in Lee, Lee, Lee. What everybody does. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so right. interesting about this whole thing. You know, I think the West Side News may have somebody over in... The Keith, West Side right? News. <laughs> but, but it's more than, than journalists getting hurt. I mean, I think the Russian troops that have been in and have arrived in Ukraine are doing efforts to suppress the press that they have encountered. That needs to be noted. And the question has become whether or not journalists are being targeted or is it because there's such indiscriminate killing of civilians that certainly that that's going to happen because journalists are amid Absolutely the right. civilians interviewing them, mm -hmm. which they need to do. So well, what do you do about that? I mean, everybody in this room has been an editor except me. Oh, yeah, because you're, you're a publisher. publisher. Yeah, yeah. yeah, publisher. Right. Most interesting but, people. Yeah, they don't have to make those hard decisions why does about sending people why does everybody Tell us, Pete. Why does everybody have a smile on their face? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but okay, you have to make a decision as to whether to send a person over to Kiev and face the potential of death. And, you know, I... I wonder, as editors, I wanted to ask you, that can't be an easy thing to do, right? Well, you know, if there are times when you're nervous about it, when you're sending somebody out into a storm. You know, if there's a hurricane coming or a blizzard even, if there is unrest on civil the streets. Civil unrest. Yeah, sure. civil unrest. It's very dangerous. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's the same thing. I mean... Look, the Russians are surrounding this place. Yeah. They are bombing indiscriminately. They're doing anything they can in order to frighten everybody. And I think the chances of really being offed are quite good if you're a journalist right now. Well, and we see it happening. Well, well, there's certainly an obligation in media to tell the story, tell it as thoroughly as you can and accurately as you can. And that does require to have boots on the ground, so to speak. And yet you also have an obligation to protect your people. That's why when you see these journalists, some of the TV journalists, you'll see them wearing flak jackets, helmets, et sure. cetera. And, and there is, you know, certainly protocols to avoid risk as much as possible. And, and then no question about it. Some people are attracted to the adventure of being around where news is breaking, worldwide news is breaking in a spectacular and a, in a horrific way. And they want to be close to where it is so they can tell the story, make their name in journalism. And there is some of that. But maybe, you know, the employers exploit that goal. But nonetheless, the intent, the goal, the obligation is to get the story. You know, Mike... I was thinking about this. In previous dangerous situations, like the ones we're talking mm -hmm. about, people would be very proud to put journalist on their flak jacket. Journalist. In other words, don't kill me because I'm a journalist. Mm -hmm. That doesn't apply in this one. No, it doesn't anymore. Anywhere, it doesn't. My wife would tell you that I have a T-shirt collection of, uh, you know, the 1980 Black Hills International Survival Gathering. and But I've got one from El Salvador, a white T-shirt that on the back in big letters says, Periodista, no dispare, right. which means journalist, don't shoot. Don't kill and, me. In those yeah. days, you know, people used to pay attention to that. I think I've mentioned Now this. they pay attention to it, but the other <laughs> way. The other way around, right. You're a target. I mean, it was kind of a joke. 
joke for the Salvadoran Press Corps Association, but not not really. I mean, there, we, we would use masking tape to put TV on the side of the cars. I've talked about that before on this TV, program. Right. TV, right. Because people would understand media. that yeah. that meant you're a journalist. But I think that now you're as much a target as anything else, or maybe even more so. So it's risky, risky business, and the people that go there are brave, and we are the beneficiaries of that, we in the free world, because we get to see the result of their heroism in getting there to tell the story. I hope that the story is accurate. I hope they're telling it correctly. I have confidence that they are because I've seen so many different sources uh, basically come to a consensus of what's really going on. But, But there is, you know, as much as we complain about Tucker Carlson, there were legitimate conversations going on in the weeks prior to the uh, launch of this war on Ukraine that Russia had some, perhaps in people's views, legitimacy because of the West sort of pushing NATO farther east. And, you know, there were, you know, scholars and historians that were likening mm. this to the, you know, Cuban missiles or having uh, an enemy at your border and sort of talking about it in broader terms. But whatever the reasons for all of it is, the result has been a horrific assault on civilian targets and destruction of a very thriving country that was emerging as a democracy in the world. And that's the story that's going on now. You can talk about what led up to it, and I think it's important to do it, but it's happening. And I don't think anything we're getting is fake news out of Ukraine. All right. And these big, important topics, because we believe in giving people a break, we're now going to talk about beer. Golly, Marsha. <laughs> Martha, whatever. <laughs> Whoever it is. Whoever it is. So we read in the magazine of Public Radio Current that some public radio stations are trying to get their uh, audience, trying to reach out to new audiences by branding some beers. Because, you know, beer is a very popular thing among young people. Not me. I hate beer. I okay. never drink beer. So what for that opportunity. Studies, Alan. <laughs> and this is the media project, <laughs> <laughs> public radio listeners it. consume more beer than the general public by 20%, according to one study. <laughs> uh, that's a fabulous study. So this is an interesting idea. I mean, Alan, you give away stuff during fun drives. Sometimes you've given away Shartok bobbleheads even. And sure. You give mugs and stuff. Sure. Alan Ale. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds great. (laughs) What would it taste like, though? (laughs) It'd be a pale ale, I think. (laughs) You know what? Alan's not laughing. No, I'm just thinking about all the things I could have said that would have gotten our license taken away. Oh, there you go. Well, NPR tried to do it more high-nosed with its wines. You know, oh, that's it's... right, the NPR <laughs> wines, yeah. But there is something to be said for giving people a reward. A and pro- they need to appeal to a younger audience. Isn't that Absolutely. really what's going yeah, on? You know, you're just getting I, the sorry, brand across. I, I don't get where this is going. Could somebody help me? <laughs> yes, yes, helping to get reach a new audience. How do you reach a younger audience if you're a, I have a theory. What's that? My theory is it's true that our audience tends at public radio tends to skew at skew higher, um, higher. Yeah, older, 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 older. That's a tough yes. word, Alan. But but that what happens is when the old ones die, the younger ones come up and take their places. So even though the younger ones might not be listening, you know, to public radio now, now, was, thank you for that, Judy. You're always so kind. And that they get higher, higher, say, uh, older, That's the beer. That's what we're looking <laughs> older, for. older. They older. take the place of the dead ones. 
Well, there we go. Uh, That's the Shartok theory of audience replacement. Here we go. We'll find out. Event well, or we won't. Well, or in some will. places they don't. <laughs> but in some places they don't get replaced, like newspapers, for example. Oh, oh here we go. We're out of time. Okay, we're out of time. Out of time. <laughs> uh, we're out of luck too. That's all. The Media Project this week. Judy Patrick, Mike Spain, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. With gratitude to David Castina, our producer, and you folks for joining us on the Media Project. The bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the bill. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Mike Spain is the former associate editor of the Albany Times Union. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Ling, 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 advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>